We are in our Advent series, God with Us, Why the Incarnation Matters. Last week would have been the first week of Advent, and we were unable to meet because of the weather. And so today we're in week two of our series, and we'll come back to week one following Christmas. But today we're in Galatians chapter four, beginning in verse four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Think about in your life what uh, one of your prized possessions is. We probably have a handful on our hands that we would say are our prized possession. It's the kind of thing that if there was a fire in your home, you might try to get it out, not have it be destroyed. We have one of those things that I want to talk about this morning in our home. It's more my wife than mine. But because it's my wife's, I'm very careful about it on Christmas when I'm putting it out. Back when uh, we were just coming to Richland, or just had come to Richland probably 40 years ago, the ladies gave her a birthday present, and that birthday present was a nativity set that she had longed for to have. And all the years since, we have had that in a prominent place in our home. And I am very careful when I put it out. In fact, this year I bumped it and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this is it. And so far we've only lost an ear of a donkey, I think, through the years. But one of the traditions we have in that nativity set is, and we started it back then, is that we don't put baby Jesus out right away. We wait till Christmas Eve, and so a tradition in our home is to read the Christmas story, Christmas Eve, and then have, um, used to be one of my children, now it's usually one of the grandchildren, to place that um, baby Jesus in the manger. Part of that is a hope that it just doesn't become commonplace. Now, traditions tend to do that after you've done them enough years, but it's an attempt to, to try to make sure that we don't see the incarnation as old hat. There's a danger in that. The familiarity of the Christmas story, if you've been in the church very long, um, can become just kind of commonplace. And what we are doing in this particular Advent time is, is really talking about the fact that it matters and why the incarnation matters. And we've gone now in week two to Galatians chapter four. And let me read again, beginning at verse four. It starts with the word, but. But when the fullness of time had come, God. But when the fullness of time had come, God. But. A but makes us realize there's something before it. And I hope that we were in Romans long enough, and you've been here enough during that series to know what that but is following. 
It's following the fact that Romans clearly, week after week after week, reminded us that the wrath of God is over all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. All of us had it hanging over us at one time. My hope this morning is that you know that it's not hanging there anymore because as we sang about a righteousness from God, even in the songs we sang, that's our hope, that it no longer hangs over us. But here it says the but is because of that, because of that that's hanging over us. In the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, what's that all about? Again, we go back to Romans. You can't leave it, although we've taken a little hiatus from Romans. We can't fully leave it. If you go back to Romans, that is about, the fullness of time is about this text that we read in Romans in chapter 3. It says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time, in the fullness of time, if you will, so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In the fullness of time, God. God did something that allowed all of the accusations of injustice that were being directed to him because he had passed over the sins of so many for so long and had not brought the judgment that he said would come upon all sin. In the fullness of time, God vindicated his justice. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what the incarnation is about as we look at it. And it goes on in that text. It says, in the fullness of time, but in the fullness of time, God, God acted on behalf of a people. God acted in time and space, in history, at a moment, did something that put into motion what would cause him to be both just and justifier of all who have faith in his son. That's the pivotal point of all history. I don't care what they teach you in school. If they don't teach that, you can't understand it. You can't understand it except you understand that it is in the fullness of time that all history of the world is understood. And if you don't have that pivot point in your life, if you don't have it, then it's, it's all foolishness. That's why the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. Because if it is about that pivot point, that point in history, in time and space, must be in our orbit. Or that orbit makes no sense and it just flies all over we may try to find ways to make it make sense which is what man does on his own but you can't except you understand that in the fullness of time God acted and worked on behalf of a people to save them for the sake of his name for the sake of his name because he had promised to save a people And he was going to do it, and he did it. He did it when we had no hope. He didn't do it because somehow um, there was something in us to merit it. Scripture clearly says there was not. In fact, all that we merited was the wrath of God. 
But God acted in the fullness of time. He moved. And uh, what I want to do this morning is talk about how he acted. How did he act? What did he do in the fullness of time that set all of that into motion? That's what we'll be talking about actually over the next three weeks. But we begin this morning by reading on. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Born of a woman. Don't, don't read too fast. Don't run over that. That is incredibly significant. Born of a woman. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it was incredibly scandalous as it was proclaimed by those early Christians. How could it be? Religious leaders couldn't fathom this, couldn't understand this, couldn't wrap their head around this. They had expectations of God working in in grand ways, but never did it cross their mind that it would be this way. Born of a woman, that God would take on flesh that God would come in an infant state. A few years ago, I came across a book that was incredibly helpful to me on the Trinity. And uh, one of the things that that particular book um, talked about, which I'd not really considered a whole lot, um, but I have since. You think about that baby in that manger, that manger in Bethlehem. That baby didn't, I don't think, though it was fully God and fully man, which is a mystery. But I don't think that Jesus, as he lay in that manger dependent upon a mother and a father who were there, did not look up into the universe and see the stars and say, I created those. I don't think that thought crossed his mind. I don't think he was laying there in a, trapped in an infant's body contemplating what he created. That's part of the mystery of him being born of a woman, taking on weakness. He did not consider, in other places the scripture says, equality with God something to be grasped, but took on dependency in that manger, came in a lowly way, came to a family who had no earthly claim to anything except poverty. And they cared for him. And as he grew up into childhood and young adulthood and manhood ultimately, he felt all, all of the hardships of life that we feel. We'll talk about that when it talk, we talk about him being tempted. But but he was. He, he felt those things. One of the things that has been incredibly helpful to me in ministry, when, when you are in it and you face the brokenness of life, of people, and, and uh, certainly you have some answers to give of why the brokenness is there. The big picture is easy. The big picture is because we've sinned and this world is broken. Small picture is harder. Small picture... I'm a, I'm a little more careful to say this is the reason that that suffering has come. In fact, most times don't ever just say that in a direct fashion, connect the dots directly. 
Now, I can see ways in which God uses that. But, but one of the things that is helpful to me when I deal with people who are facing hardship, really hard things, one of the things that God has given me to say to them is, I don't understand it all, and I don't understand why it comes at the pace it comes to you right now. But one thing I do know is that my God did not stay away from it. I don't have a God in heaven who stayed aloof from the suffering of the world. That, that is the most significant thing probably in all of my ministry that has been helpful to me, to be able to say to people, the God I serve, the King I love, entered fully into that brokenness, and he didn't have to. He didn't have to. That's what it means when it says born of a woman. He entered fully into brokenness and hardship as he came. If you're suffering this morning in some way, I I hope you see that and know that. And know that's the God who we have been singing about this morning. I can trust a God like that even when I don't have all the answers. And you can too. The second thing, it says, not only, not only was he born of a woman, but it goes on to say that he was born under the law. He was born under the weight of the law. And one of the things we said again, if we go back to Romans, is that, that uh, what, what Jesus did didn't abolish the law, it fulfilled the law. And what, that's exactly what it means when he was born under the law. He, he fulfilled the law. He honored the law in the fact that he fulfilled all the demands of the law. Jesus came into the brokenness, brokenness that we feel, the brokenness that pushes on us, and we take the easy way out sometimes. We feel the brokenness, and we go to the wrong place for relief, which is called sin. We've all done that. You've probably done that this week someplace. Jesus never did that. He felt all the weight of it, all the pressure to do that, but he never did it. We'll talk more about it when we come to the fact that he was tempted. Never once did he take the easy way out. And sin is an easy way out. It would have given Jesus relief at times that had to look pretty powerful to him, just like it does to us, and push on him pretty hard. In fact, I'm convinced that it pushed on him harder than it ever has pushed on us. You think about a time when the pressure was on, and maybe you succeeded, maybe you didn't give in to the relief, or maybe a time when you did. Think about that, particularly if you did. The reason I say Jesus felt it even to a greater capacity than you ever have is because he felt the full force of that temptation. He felt the full force and never once gave in. When we give in, we don't get the full force because we gave in. He felt it all. He sweat great drops of blood, as it were, in the garden. He didn't give in to the pressure of relief. He went all the way to the cross and never sinned once. He filled all the demands of the law. 
He also fulfilled all the requirements of the law. That's what he means. He was under the law. He felt all the demands. He never sinned. Therefore, as we've talked in Romans, he then can provide a righteousness for us because he accomplished all righteousness. And that's the gift he gives us. But you can go to the messages to look at that. But he he went on to fulfill it in another dimension. He fulfilled it in the sense that he fulfilled the requirements of the law. Because the law said, the soul that sins shall surely what? Die. To sin, to violate the law, meant death. Jesus died. He died because of the weight of the law. Not because of his sin, but because our sin that was put on him. If we are outside of Christ and we die in that respect, we spend an eternity in death spiritual death. Jesus didn't because of the resurrection. Jesus died like that, but it wasn't forever. The Father raised him to life, but he bore the requirement of the law that the law requires death. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, it says in other places. So he fulfilled the demands, he fulfilled the requirements of the law perfectly. That's what it meant to be under the law. And there's a reason he was under the law because if we read on, it says he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. That's the reason that he did it. To redeem those who? Who's under the law? Us. Without hope. All of us. All have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God as all men have, and we're under the law and we're in danger of that spiritual death for all eternity. But Jesus accomplished something that redeems us from the weight and the penalty of the law to redeem those who were under the law. That's what Jesus did when he came in the fullness of time. That's why you can't understand history without that there. There are lots of people who want to say all kinds of reasons of what happened in the fullness of time. But I'm here to tell you the bottom line of why Jesus came in the fullness of time was to redeem those under the law. You and I. If redemption's not a part of what you believe about why Jesus came, You're missing the core of it. You you this Christmas, just just do this. I've, I've talked about this before, but just listen to the Christmas carols. Now we we sang some new ones, which had it in there too. We won't we won't choose to sing new ones except they have it in there. But I didn't grow up in the church. And we sang those carols in my In my grade school, when I was growing up, I remember being in Christmas programs, which were basically the nativity pageant in my public school. You could do it back then. We sang it. It was all around me, but I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. This is is the kind of stuff that we sang, because we sang these words, like joy to the world. For instance, it says, No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. For as the curse is found, goes on, says he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. 
For as the curse is found, for as the curse is found. We sang two this morning, those first two hymns that we sang, Christmas carols. They are full of the gospel. It is amazing to me how full they are. In fact, I remember when my eyes were opened and I saw what I had been singing all of those years that made no sense. And all of a sudden, the gospel was alive to me. Why? Because Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of the law. Do you see it when you sing that? Do you see it in those carols? Christmas Eve, what we do traditionally here, if you're new among us, is we come and we sing carols. We have some special music. We read scripture. We're here for about an hour. But that night will be full of those traditional Christmas carols, full of the gospel, full of the gospel. Notice them as we sing them through this Christmas season. That's why Jesus came in the fullness of time to redeem us from the curse of the law. He goes on to say a couple of other things and then we're going to come to the table this morning. He also talks about um, the fact that we have a new identity in this text. He, He redeems us from the curse of the law but he also gives us a new identity. Look at that here in the text. It says to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. Goes on to say, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And then it says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. A slave to what? A slave to the law. Under the law anymore, no longer. Not a slave to that, but a son. If Christ has redeemed you, you are a son. You're part of the family. In a moment, we're going to come to the table, and God says, pull your chair up to the table. You're a son. Welcome home. Eat with us. Again, these are things that sometimes we just pass over. You're a son. You're part of the family. You feel that way in relationship to God that you're his son? Think about your own sons, daughters. And it goes on to say more than that. Not only are you a son, but you are an heir. An heir of God. Heir of God. What's that mean? It means everything that Christ has is yours. Everything the Son has that God sent to redeem us who are under the law to make us sons, everything that He has, you have as well. You're an heir of all of that. That is a glorious truth. It's a glorious truth. And we will come to it again later, as I said to you. But that's what Jesus did when he was born of a woman. And he experienced temptation as he did. Never to sin, to free us from the law. I have a friend named Sam. Some of you know Sam. Sam is one of the brightest people I know. And 
this isn't true, but it's almost true. Sam can just about do anything. He is so bright. And uh, one of the things that Sam did a number of years ago is he, he played the role of a professor, of a college professor kind of thing, and, and did kind of, a, kind of a comedy professorship kind of role. And I can't even describe to you what he did. It was just amazing what he did. He wrote it all. He wrote the script all himself. He did it at, a, at my college um, gathering, I think a homecoming gathering, something. He was there, and he was kind of the, the entertainment for that night. And I went to Sam after that, and I, and I said to Sam, I said, Sam, you, you do stuff so easily. You do stuff so easily. And I, have you ever been in a situation where you say something to somebody, they don't say a word back to you, but you see their face? That's what it was. I was looking at Sam, and I said, Sam, you do this so easily. And I knew, he didn't say a word, but I knew when I saw his eyes, you don't understand. Sam is at a way higher level than I am, IQ. And he really is bright. One of the brightest people I know. But he still didn't do that easily. He didn't do it easily. He worked as hard as he could work. He worked as hard as I've done, worked in anything I've worked at, at the level I'm at, and probably harder. You understand what I'm saying in that? He worked hard. He worked to the level that God had gifted him. And so he didn't do it easily. He spent hours and hours doing that. Sometimes we think about that way about Jesus. He was born of a woman, lived under the law, and we think he's no big deal. He was God. But what the incarnation means when it says born of a woman means he didn't do it easily. He didn't do it easily. He battled the brokenness of this world. And the first Adam failed. First Adam found an escape. The second Adam felt the full weight of temptation through great effort as he was in the flesh and felt all of that around him, but without sin. That's what this table speaks to us. This table speaks to us this morning of that God. That God that was born of a woman. Fully God. Don't don't minimize that. I don't. But also fully man. And able to sympathize with our weakness. And able to meet us at the table and beckon us to pull up a chair. Let's pray together. Father, help us this morning as we come to the table. I pray that anew and afresh we will, we will see Jesus in that manger, born of a woman, and all that it means that he was born of a woman, and all that he accomplished for us. Lord, I pray this morning that we would be strengthened and helped, that we would see God we would see Jesus as the one who freed us, freed us from the burden of the law, from the condemnation that the law was bringing on us because we had so woefully broken it. 
And may we find hope and strength, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that the elders would come and as they're coming, listen to the invitation this morning. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way as he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But you not only proclaim his death, but you proclaim that he first was born of a woman, that he might die for us. We have open communion here at Richland and so you need not be a member this morning to partake of this table and to take a chair at this table figuratively this morning. We ask only that you would live under the invitation that's in the bulletin printed there and uh, if you can and do we invite you to share with us. We will pass the elements in the pews and uh, then partake together.
Scripture says that Jesus became a curse for us, for cursed is everyone who hangeth on a tree. But part of the reason that he took that curse was to release us from the bondage of the law. Take and be grateful. Again, hold the element we'll partake together.
listen to the second Christmas carol that you sang this morning. Born, born, thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. And then this line. These are the kinds of things that are all over the carols, the gospel. By thine all-sufficient merit. Whose merit? Mine? No. Yours? No. His. By his all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. That's the only place to rest your hope because nothing else is adequate. Take and drink and be grateful. Let's stand together and pray. Father, I'm grateful that we could sit at your table today. I'm grateful that I could sit at your table. I remember days when I had no concept of that. And I'm grateful that the reason that I can sit there is because of the all-sufficient merit of my Savior and my King, the one who was born of a woman under the law to free us and redeem us from bondage to that law. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in God's peace.